Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, my name is Kieran Coyne and you're listening to Sorry Partner. And welcome to Sorry Partner, a weekly podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players, brought to you by bridge partners and friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we talk with Irish champion Kieran Coyne about the role of serendipity in his bridge journey and the importance of trusting your own judgment, as well as hear his top tip for developing players. But first, let's kibitz. Hi, partner. Hi, partner. How's it going this week, Catherine? Oh, it's going well. Thanks, Jocelyn. Though I've been dying to talk to you about a situation that came up on BBO. Um, it's a classic little, you know, sometimes you get into these little chit chats with complete strangers. Sure. Yeah, I got into this, I was going to say flirty, but it wasn't flirty. I was just <laughs> an absolute idiot. That's the truth of it. <laughs> One of our opponents had what I thought was quite a cute BBO name, you know, and people are clever. I really enjoy some of their names. Um, I'm not going to tell you what his is because I'm not going to out him on our show, but he had a really cute BBO name. (laughs) So I checked his profile because, you know, people put their real names there and I'm not even thinking, you know, it's all in the heat of the moment. It's really quick between rounds. You know, we'd finished our our round and I check his name and then I'm like, hey, and let's call him Bill. I'm like, hey, Bill. Love your handle. I write to him, not even thinking about <laughs> how it sounds. <laughs> Honestly, I was completely unaware of what I was saying. And he wrote back, uh, you know, too sweet. <laughs> he, he writes back, me too. Ha, ha, ha. And at that point, I realized what I'd said it was just mortifying. I was so embarrassed. And I was like trying then to kind of backpedal a little bit. I'm like, yeah, next time I'll rephrase it, blah, 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 blah. Then my partner was messaging me, you know, 
privately in the chat saying, well, look, I really didn't give Bill much choice that I'd set it up for him and he really <laughs> But he really didn't have any option but to reply. It, it might it might be time to change your BBO handle. Catherine. <laughs> I was so modified. I just thought, what the hell was I thinking? And then I started trying to rationalize it to my partner. I got into this whole thing with him where we were talking about it. And I was saying, well, I felt that Bill was being oafish because his response contained no witch. You know, and I had this whole uh, rationalization going about how, you know, he should have been clever about it, blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah. I've been thinking about it since and I have come back to Georgia Botter's advice about the blame game ends with the person <laughs> who made the first mistake. <laughs> anyway, in this instance, that was me. So, Bill, or we know that's not really your name. If you're out there listening, I, uh, I apologize. I will try to be more thoughtful going forward. <laughs> Really gives new meaning to a pickup bridge game. But <laughs> <laughs> I've I wonder if there have ever been any romances kindled over <gasps> BBO. <laughs> oh, oh, please, if people have a romance story, write into us. We want to know about it. For sure at the bridge table. I've seen that in action over and over again. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah. I'm thinking specifically BBO. Like yeah, yeah. Flirtatious, love your handle. <laughs> well, I remember you and I played a tournament in Hawaii and we got into a bit of chit chat with a couple of the gentlemen there. And I love it because you always write to me saying, Do you know them? <laughs> no. Who are these people? Why are they talking to us? <laughs> yeah. yeah. We've had a couple of letters in the mailbag. Would you like me to read you one? Oh, yes, please. Okay, so this letter is from Sarah in New York and the subject line is having your cake, which I think is apropos because I think I was trying to have my cake as well. Here we go. At a sectional tournament a few towns away, I was declarer in a suit contract. My left-hand opponent led an ace and her partner played a low card. The person on lead then led the king and her partner followed again, small. But as soon as my right-hand opponent had played that small card, she immediately started shifting the cards around in her hand. My left-hand opponent continued a third round of the suit and her partner trumped it. I called the director to report the card-sorting behaviour, saying that the person as good as told her partner she didn't have any of the suit left. <laughs> but the woman denied it while also stating, quote, I can't have two red suits next to each other completely oblivious to the fact that in the same sentence she was denying and admitting the same infraction. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right, because right, she didn't have any more black. <laughs> didn't have any more spades in between yeah. the diamonds and the hearts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Sarah says it didn't affect the result, so the score wasn't adjusted, but it made me laugh. Yeah, so us too, Sarah, definitely. <laughs> it is really funny, actually. I always sort my hand by suits, but I know a lot of people are able to to never sort their hand and play just fine without it and I guess that just boggles my mind. <laughs> Me too. I don't I don't understand. I don't understand. Do you remember one of those very early games you and I played against Ron Smith? Oh, and he sorted out the hand like kind of with his eyes. We were playing in a tournament. And you know when you have to organize the cards beforehand when they put the pallets down at the table and they give you the hand records and everyone takes a suit and you have to yes. organize the cards. Okay. And so it was that. And you and I were trying to do it and we were being incredibly slow. And he got so frustrated. He picked up all the cards from, from both of us, like all the ones we'd laid out, 
looked at them, looked at the hand record once and just went and just dealt the whole yeah. thing. It was oh. <laughs> it's like a magic trick. I couldn't believe it. I didn't know who he was at that time, but I mm. knew when he did that, that he was oh, somebody. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. exactly. He was someone very important and very intimidating. I was once at a tournament and somebody actually, <laughs> it was like the best piece of advice I ever got. Somebody who was a bridge teacher, it turned out, said to me, can I give you a tip? Don't sort your cards from high to low. Sort them from low to high because people will pick up on the position of your cards. And I was so grateful for that. Of course, I think I've reverted to my old ways. You know, I just keep my cards kind of under the table more than up where people can maybe see the position of the cards. <laughs> I, I remember also teaching these little kids a bridge class. And the hardest thing for them was actually just <laughs> at the beginning, just holding the card. Oh, that's so cute. That's so cute. Yes, it was very cute. So if you've got a fun story about sorting your cards or flirtation at the bridge table, please send it to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com and maybe we'll read it out on the pod. Coming up next, our interview with Kieran Coyne. Irish champion Kieran Coyne started playing bridge a few months before his final university examinations in Galway. He is a multiple national champion and has represented Ireland in the Camrose Trophy Home Nations competition three times and also in the European Championships. In addition, he has served as the non-playing coach of both the Irish Bridge Union Open Team and the Contract Bridge Association of Ireland Camrose Teams. We began by asking him about his earliest memory of bridge. My earliest memory of bridge, or my earliest kind of awareness of bridge, is that every deck of cards, at least in Ireland, every deck of cards that you get has a bridge scoring card in it. So you open a deck of cards, there's 52 cards, three jokers, and a bridge scoring card. I played a lot of cards when I was a student, and this bridge scoring card was a mystery to us every time. It was just something that got taken out of the deck, ripped up, thrown away, and you know, then you use the 52 cards for whatever games you were playing. But it was always something that, I guess, generated a little bit of interest. And the other thing was that um, pretty much every Irish newspaper, at least before I started playing bridge, pretty much every newspaper used to have a bridge column in it. So you would see this diagram and some text every day. And so the Irish Times, which is the newspaper that, um, you know, they had a student discount. So everyone at university read that newspaper because you could get it extremely cheaply. Uh, this would be kind of early 90s, I guess. So that bridge column was like something that you would look at and read, wondering, you know, if you read enough of these, would you learn how to play bridge? Could you figure it out from there? So, so those are the two earliest, they're not directly bridge memories, but they would be the things that generated an awareness of bridge for me. And then from there, I guess what got me more interested in bridge was, again, back to my time in university. I played a lot of cards as a student, we played a lot of different games. We played whist, which I guess gave us a good feeling for trick-taking games and partnership games. We played a lot of poker. And then at some point towards the end of my undergraduate studies, a friend's sister took bridge lessons. 
And he showed up one day for our poker game. And it must have been a lean time of the month. There wasn't much money for poker. So he turned up with a, two sheets of paper with the basics of bridge. So the first lesson that his sister had gone to that explained you know, some of the basics. And he had seen bridge played in his home with bidding boxes. And he worked in the bar in the local bridge center. So he had had a lot of exposure to bridge without ever having actually played it. So we, four or five of us, sat around a table, looked at these sheets, and did our best interpretation of what it was telling us. And that was so that was how we got started. And over the next few days or weeks, we spent a bit of time trying to work through this ourselves. And one day, when we were sitting in the the bar in the university at a table playing bridge, some guy sitting at the next table. This was in the morning. He was in having a coffee, reading reading the newspaper, waiting to meet someone, and he took an interest in what we were doing and turned out he was a pretty experienced bridge player and he gave us a few pointers and then joined our game and helped us out and that evening actually we went to the local bridge club and played so i think our, our second day having tried to play bridge at all so i played with him and two of my friends played together and you know we probably created quite an impression at the time because we changed the demographic in that bridge club quite a bit <laughs> but uh we, we enjoyed it and the people in the club were very welcoming so we never looked back. Do you recall how you did that first foray? We finished seventh. I don't know in how, 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 how seventh of how many, but I knew it was seventh. And me and the guy who knew how to play bridge did better than my two friends who had basically started the day before. We didn't understand enough about the scoring to know beyond where we had ranked. But <laughs> we enjoyed it. So when did you first start to understand that you were really good at it? Yeah, you know, I, I still don't know. I still don't know that I understand that because <laughs> it's all relative. <laughs> but I guess when I started playing and when my friends started playing, we had maybe six to eight of us who played, six who learned how to play properly and have gone on to play quite a bit of bridge. Four of those have dropped out now. We're probably all in similar situations, have young families, have work commitments. It's hard to find time. Bridge can be as time-consuming a hobby as you want to let it be, I guess. But, you know, I had some success pretty early. I just remember the first of, first time I won an event, there was a festival in the local town and there was a, a bridge tournament run in conjunction with this festival and there were prizes. There was a, a, a cup with names engraved on it and I, I won that with a, a player from the bridge club. He was not, not one of my peers. He was somebody who was a little bit more experienced than us at the time. And so we won this event. It was like a intermediate competition so it was the lowest bracket if you like in the in the particular tournament but there was a trophy so we got our names engraved on this trophy and that was felt like an achievement and i think the prize i won was a well I, there was a, a choice of prizes but the prize i chose from this table full of different things was a, a book on defense which i still have somewhere here i'd love to know the title of that book that you won sure so the title of that book was the complete guide to defensive play by Frank Stewart. And it was in September 1994, which is about four, four or five months after I started playing bridge. Wow, amazing. Well done. So, yeah, that, that was the encouragement we needed. And that was probably in my first like few months playing bridge. And then shortly after that, I moved to a different city to do some postgraduate studies. And I didn't play any bridge when I was there. When I was home on weekends, I used to try and get home Friday night and play in the bridge club on a Friday night for that year. And then after that, I moved to London for a few years and worked there and played very little bridge for those two and a half years I was in London. 
when I moved back to Ireland, I played a lot of bridge for the subsequent seven or eight years until we started family. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Kieran, do you have a favorite tournament that you love to play? I have several favorites for different reasons. I guess my favorite tournament, it's not running anymore, so, but we're, we're hopeful that it will be revived. So it's Bally Bunyan Bridge Congress. That's favorite for, for many reasons, but the, the main one being that I met my wife there. Aww. And it's in, a, it's in a beautiful location. Bally Bunyan is a seaside town in kind of southwest corner of Ireland with a really nice beach. And they, have a, they had a congress there every September. So kind of the first weekend after kids go back to school. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So Bridge Congress is in Ireland. That's how they tend to be run. So Friday night, mixed pairs. Saturday, pairs, Sunday teams. And a bunch of us used to meet there every year. And whenever we met bridge players from anywhere else, we'd advocate for them to come to Ballybunion in September because it's the best Bridge Congress in the world. <laughs> but unfortunately, the hotel in Ballybunion that used to host the Bridge Congress shut down. So it's not operating at the moment. They found a couple of other locations, but none that was suitable long term. So right now, there isn't a, a suitable venue in the town. So the, the Congress has moved to Tralee, which is a town about 40 minutes drive from Ballybunion. But it's when you can't uh, get up from your accommodation in the morning and go down to the beach for a swim and have a game of football with your friends on the beach and enjoy everything that the town has to offer after bridges over in the evening. It's not the same. So we're hoping that it will restart again when there's a, a good venue in, in Ballybunion. But that would be my favorite event. Other than that, it would be trials. So that there are trials for the Irish team for the European Championships every two years and that's always the best event that's run in Ireland because all the best players play a lot of the people who play on the Irish Open team play most of their bridge abroad they don't play in very many domestic events anymore so the prize on offer in the trials the chance to represent your country the chance to go away and play in an event against great players from all over Europe that's on a different level to what's available in any other event that that's certainly held here anyway any year so Absent Ballybunion, that will have to do. What's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you when you've been playing bridge? Oh, 
funniest. So going back to very early days playing bridge. So shortly after we started playing, we went to play in bridge intervarsities. And the first event in that tournament was a pairs event. And we were passing boards to a table. We, we, were, we were stationary and there were two friends of ours stationary at the table to which we were passing boards. And after each round, when they took out the score sheet and wrote in their scores, they just kept telling us how amazing our scores were and how they hadn't beaten a single one of our scores all day. And we were shoo-in to win this event. And it was amazing how we were performing. Anyway, at the end of the event, when it was scored up, we got up and we were so confident that we had just nailed this thing. And <laughs> we'd done pretty okay. We'd finished third, but the two guys that we had passed boards to all day finished first. So... <laughs> That was that was it was pretty funny in hindsight, you know, at the time. <laughs> a little bit steaming, but you know. <laughs> what rat bags. What do you think your particular strength is in bridge? Um I'm not a, I'm not afraid to look like a fool. If I believe that it's right to do something, I will do it even if I know that it has potential to blow up my face. I don't have any concerns about how things will look. I trust my judgment. But can you draw that out a little bit more? Sure. What's the value in being prepared to take that kind of risk? Is it about ego? What is the metric that that decision-making is turning on? Um, It's not about ego. It's just about making an evaluation of the situation and then doing what I think is right, not doing what I think is low risk or what I think the room will do or what I think will be done at the other table. So if I think it is a positive expected value to do something, then I will do it. I guess a recent example where I had a hand with, you know, I had a nine count with king, queen to six hearts and a singleton diamond. And my left-hand opponent opened one spade. My partner overcalled two diamonds. At my table, my right-hand opponent bid three spades, which was weak. So I, my hand was three, six, one, three. So three low, king, queen to six, singleton, king to three. So I thought it was clear to bid four hearts. I mean, I didn't even think it was close i said and i think at some tables people might miss four hearts but i don't think our opponents in this particular match would miss four hearts so i bid four hearts and that went all pass and dummy appeared with a singleton spade and jack to three hearts so six solid diamonds and whatever three low clubs so four hearts made four spades would make nine tricks so at the other table the auction went a little bit differently in that it went one spade two diamonds two spades and so the player wrote my hand who's a an excellent player he doubled for takeout his evaluation was that that bidding three hearts there was risky with no sure fit with the opponents maybe only having eight spades maybe not even having eight spades and that if hearts were stacked that you could go for a number there bidding three hearts and three hearts is forcing so you're when you bid three hearts you're almost effectively bidding four hearts and partner can't retreat to partner rebids their diamonds what are you doing with the stiff diamond so to my mind, in the situation at my table where they've kind of implied a nine-card spade fit, I thought it was very clear. But even if they've only shown an eight-card spade fit, I, I, I think it's very clear to bid three hearts. So my my evaluation there is maybe talking to the people that we play in the match, they, they'd say my evaluation is not mainstream there, but I, I think it's clear-cut. And I would have no problem with backing my judgment in situations like that. Two spades doubled then made? No, no. Uh, two spades doubled was taken out to three diamonds, and I they might have our teammates competed to three spades, so they made 140 and we made 620. What is your weakest area of the game? Um, two things. One is making sure I'm well enough rested when I go to play series events. So 
if I play multi-day events, I don't tend to sleep as well as I would normally. And then it becomes difficult. Day two, day three, day four, each, each subsequent day gets harder. So that's one thing. And I don't really put any conscious effort into trying to address that, but that's one. And the other I'd say is I'm sometimes not as good a partner as I should be. Uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty mellow when I play bridge with partners, but sometimes I say more than I should. So I guess it's about remembering that my partner and I are have the same objective when we play. We're both trying to achieve the same outcome. And so remembering to keep any discussions to after the session, which I'm getting better. I'm better at it probably than I was at different times in the past, but sometimes emotion gets the better of me. Is there a situation that you can share that you've regretted? Um, no big, no, no, never any big blow ups, but someone you play a lot of bridge with is very sensitive to your mood and your your assessment of what just happened. And so it's best if you can not communicate, even if it's not verbally, you know, just not communicate your annoyance. So little things like the the way you pick up your scorecard or the way you write your score, or, <laughs> you know, it's easy to, to transmit your mood without saying anything. And so avoiding doing that is for the best. Um, and that's why in lots of ways, playing events with screens is much easier because your body language doesn't matter so much. Even though I guess it, it can give encouragement to your opponent, if they can see that you're that that you're not happy about what just happened on a particular board. Uh, why give that edge to your opponent? Why let them know? I always think back to there's a story in a I think there's a book called Triumphs and Disasters at the Ridge Table, and one of the stories in there was about a, a board where a French pair playing on the French Open team pulled seven of a major to seven no trump which was doubled and the opponents ran off their six tricks in the suit because one of one of the partnership had assumed that his partner's first round control in the opponent's suit must be the ace, but it was a void. And so they went for a huge number and the board was finished, the cards were put away and the two French players never said a word. Nobody said anything. No one batted an eyelid. And so the, the author's version of events was that the opponents were so you know impressed with their demeanor or so put out by the fact that they could have a disaster like that and not not say a word that they fell apart subsequently or that the french team ultimately won the match anyway maybe that story was exaggerated for effect but the basic principle that keeping your composure and just focusing on the next hand is by far the best way to behave at the table that's great so what's something that people would be surprised to learn about you? Um, people might be surprised to learn that as a child, I did not like playing cards. In my family, we played cards. So my dad taught us 25 is a card game that's played widely in the part of Ireland I come from. It's a trick-taking game. Uh, I didn't like it. In my grandmother's house, they played it. So when we visited there, sometimes they would play that game. Uh, my dad taught us to play poker. We used to play poker for matches. I never enjoyed playing cards with my family as a child. And it was only really when I went to university and started playing with classmates, peers, friends there that I started to enjoy it. But yeah, before that, I did not really have any great enthusiasm for card games at all. This isn't a reflection on your family, I take it. No, not at all. Not at all. Although, you know, my sisters, yeah, I always felt like any game I played with them, I was at a disadvantage because they had me outnumbered and I felt like they were cooperating both above board and, and also maybe nefariously. Do they play bridge? No, they don't. No. <laughs> so you dominate there. <laughs> Do you have a favorite convention 
or a gadget that you really like to play? I like transfers, just transfers in lots of places, transfers in competitive auctions, play transfers in some non-competitive auctions as well. So transfer rebids. I just like the space that they give you and the fact that they give you more options when it comes to developing auctions. But it, it takes it takes work to incorporate them into as many places as I would like to. So I don't play them in as many places as, as I would like to in all the partnerships. But in the partnerships where we do the most work, we're playing more and more transfers in more and more situations. They seem to be very popular and gaining popularity. Yeah, for sure. Transfer responses, transfer rebids, transfer advances to overcalls. So that you've got a way to both show forcing and non-forcing hands, or you can bid with both hands that want to just improve the contract versus hands that want to engage in a, a constructive auction. Are there any conventions that you would consider kind of a waste of, of time or overrated? So uh, there is, I mean, there's one that um, I'd like to eliminate from, I played in, in a lot of partnerships, so Bergen Raises. We play Bergen Raises in lots of sequences, and I, I don't like them because they get you to the three level when you may not want to be there. You know, we're using two or three bits to describe quite similar hands, and there are more efficient ways to achieve the same. I mean, the nice thing they've gone for them is that they're pretty simple. So there isn't a lot of discussion required to play Bergen Raises. But yeah, that's one that um, I, certainly I would like to eliminate from, from my partnerships, but it's work in progress. What's the best bridge tip or advice that you've ever been given? Uh, just play a lot, especially when you're learning the game, especially, but always probably playing a lot isn't a bad thing. You know, it's like anything, practice as much as you can. I guess the other thing is, you know, count the hand, count people's shape, figure out what shape you're playing people for before you play a card, but just play, play, play regularly, play as many boards as you can. Certainly for people who are learning the game, you know, because... There is no substitute for being put into situations at the table. Absolutely. Kieran, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been really terrific. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for inviting me on your podcast. It's been fun talking to you. And that's the show. Thanks to Kieran Coyne. This program is produced by Catherine Harris. Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboy. Send your bridge stories and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or send us a voice message at www.speakpipe.com slash sorrypartnerpodcast. The link is also in the show notes. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice or we'll call the director. Until next week, play well. May all your finesses be on side. And remember, as Kieran says... Play a lot. Practice as much as you can. Thank you, partner. Thank you, partner. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.